The time has come, so turn up the sound. It's time for Buried Broadway. Hiya. Hello. I'm Jen Beverelli. And I'm Mikey Beverelli. And welcome to... Buried Buried Broadway, Broadway, where we discover, dissect, and demystify forgotten Broadway musicals that we most likely found on vinyl for a dollar. So, Mikey. Yes, Jen. How's it going? Oh, you know, week 55 of the quarantine. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. You know, the zombie apocalypse has come and gone, and um, the bees have come and gone, and I don't think they have gone anywhere. I don't think any of these things have left yet. No, and actually this hasn't happened. It's about week uh, five, six, seven. I have literally no idea. <laughs> Time doesn't matter. But things are great because I'm quarantined with you. Barf. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, we're all stuck inside and it stinks. But I've made some really cool internet friends. We've had some nice conversations about shows and life and things like that, so it's pretty cool. And this is on the Instagrams and the Facebooks? Well, mostly on the Instagrams, but I would not be opposed to it on the Facebooks. Well, if you want to talk to Jen or me, remember to follow us on Instagram at Buried Broadway for more trivia on today's show. Or you can follow our Facebook page by searching for Buried Broadway. Of course, you can always email us at buriedbroadway at gmail.com. Or you can visit our website, beverelli.com. If you want to get in touch, just follow this address. It's B-E-V-A-R-E-L-L-I dot com. So today's show is High Spirits. Music, book, and lyrics by Hugh Martin and Timothy Gray, based on Blythe Spirit by Noel Coward, which many of you have probably heard of. So we purchased this record at Second Story Books, which is a mecca here in the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area. Oh, it is mostly a bookstore, but they have a really large record section. The hours we have spent. <laughs> it is very large. Everything is a dollar. And I believe, I know, I know that a lot of our records came from there. Yes. So if you happen to be in the D.C. area, definitely check out Second Story Books in the Rockville location that has the vinyl. The one in D.C. has a lot of great books, but no vinyl there. Not anymore. They used to. So this show had out-of-town tryouts in New Haven at the Schubert Theater, Boston at the Colonial Theater, and Philadelphia at another Schubert Theater. (laughs) (laughs) It opened April 7th, 1964 and closed February 27th, 1965. It ran on Broadway for 14 previews and 375 performances. It played at the Alvin Theater. Now, Alvin isn't actually the name of a person, but it's the combination of two people— Alex Ahrens and Vinton Friedley, who were both producers in the 20s to 40s. So they took the Al from Alex and the Vin from Vinton, and they made Alvin, which I think is pretty cute. And fun fact about us, that's where we got the name Beverelli. So when we got married, well, actually, before we even got married, we 
started being called the Beverellis because my last name was Bevan. And my last name is Caffarelli. So Beverelli was a thing. And we kind of just used it as a joke for a while. I don't know. After probably about two years of people calling us the Beverellis, when we decided to get married, we were like, you know what? It kind of works. Yeah. So we both changed our names. Made it legal. Anywho, back to Al and Vin. <laughs> Alex Ahrens and Vincent Friedley both produced OK, uh, which is a show we'll talk about later, I'm sure. Vinton Friedley thought of the general idea of anything goes while living on a boat to avoid his creditors. He hired the writers Guy Bolton and P.G. Woodhouse of Jeeves fame and put Ethel Merman on a retainer for the lead. Which is cuckoo for coconuts. With money, you can do anything. (laughs) (laughs) The Alvin Theater is now called the Neil Simon Theater, and uh, we actually saw Big Fish there, which is now obscure enough that we could potentially do an episode on this later. Maybe. So, what else was playing at the time? This was a big year. Oh my goodness. So, we chose a few. Funny Girl. 110 in the Shade. A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum. Oliver. Anyone Can Whistle. We might do that later. A Revival of West Side Story. A Revival of Pal Joey. She Loves Me. How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. And Hello, Dolly. So, as far as Tony Awards go, High Spirits didn't win any, but it was nominated for eight. It tied nomination count with Funny Girl, which also won nothing. That's because Hello, Dolly! was the musical that swept the awards that year with a total of 10 Tony Awards. The awards High Spirits was nominated for were Best Musical, Best Author, now called Best Book, Best Composer and Lyricist, now called Original Score, Best Performance by a Leading Actress in a Musical, Beatrice Lilly was nominated for playing Madame Arcadi. Best performance by a featured actress in a musical, Louise Troy was nominated for playing Ruth. Best direction of a musical, Noel Coward. Best choreography, Danny Daniels. Best conductor and music director, Fred Werner. This was the last year this award existed, which has been a topic of debate for years. It's also fun to note that Best Performance by a Featured Actress in a Musical went to Tessie O'Shea for The Girl Who Came to Supper, which had music and lyrics written by Noel Coward, so he was represented in two shows that year. So that was the Overture, which is full of like brass instruments and percussion, which kind of gets everyone amped. I love a good Overture, and yes, the Overture does amp me up for the show. I don't like typically seek out Overtures when I'm listening to music, but in the context of a show, I love them. Let's get into the story. Hampstead Heath in the English countryside claims as two of its more distinguished residents, the best-selling author of mystery novels Charles Condamine and his second wife, Ruth. 
Charles and Ruth are preparing to entertain Dr. Bradman and Mrs. Bradman at dinner, and Madame Arcati is expected later. Charles, in order to carry out research for his next book, has arranged for Madame Arcati to conduct one of her famous seances. As Charles and Ruth converse, Edith, their maid, trots in and out. Ruth has vainly conducted a continuing campaign to slow down Edith's fast pace, but Charles explains that Edith had adored his first wife, Elvira, who had trained her to hop to it when she gave an order. Turning to the subject of Charles's late wife, Ruth clearly hints that her life would be somewhat happier if Elvira had never existed. When Charles leaves the room on an errand, Ruth wonders, Was she prettier than I? Which is the name of the first song. I'm already confused. Lots it's of characters. It's just a lot of people. And I know I wouldn't be confused if I was watching it. But one thing you have to know about me is that I'm horrible with names. I'm horrible with any names of anything. Places, geography, people, songs, <laughs> instruments I, of things. Like every name of anything, I can't remember. So this is going to be a really hard show. In one paragraph, you were just introduced to seven people. Okay, so right now we're about to listen to Ruth. Yes. Who is, what's her husband's name? Charles Condomine. Charles. Charles, yes. Let's, let's stick with the first names. Yes, yes, I yes. don't even, can't even remember his first name, let alone Condomine, <laughs> which sounds like concubine and just very confusing. But okay, so Ruth is singing about her husband Charles's ex-wife Elvira. Yes. Is it still ex-wife if you're dead? Oh, no. It's not. Uh, <laughs> so, Ruth is singing about her husband Charles's <laughs> first wife. Correct. Elvira, who is since passed. Correct. And Edith liked her better. And Edith is the servant. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just going to applaud myself for getting that I'm not going to worry about the other people right now was she cleverer than I wittier than I walking down the street to meet you was she prettier than I wonder why I never try just asking unless I was too So during that song, she pronounced Elvira as Elvira, and I'm guessing that I probably said it wrong. Well, she certainly didn't. She's in the show. (laughs) (laughs) So I think from now on, I will say Elvira, even though when I see the name, I think of Elvira. Queen of the Dark. Correct. (laughs) Same spelling. Yeah. So I think it's just a British pronunciation thingy-mahoo. Yeah. But can we talk about this lady? Yeah. She's so good. Mm -hmm. I really like this song. It sounds similar to other things, but those the things that it sounds similar to are soprano songs, and this is like an alto e mezzo song. So it has a completely different feel for me than like an ingenue high-pitched squeaker. Goldie, I'm looking at you. (laughs) Reference to episode four. (laughs) 
Well, let's see what they have in store for us. While the two couples are dining, the colorful Madame Arcati... Wait, who's dining? <laughs> uh, Dr. Bradman and Mrs. Bradman. I thought that one of them left. <laughs> no? What? I thought Charles left. Oh, no. Yeah, that's right. Charles left the room on an errand. Yeah, so he's not in the house. Well, maybe that song took over <laughs> a, such a long period of time that he came back He has back now from come back. <laughs> time has passed. We need a time has passed sound. Yeah. While the two couples are dining, the colorful Madame Arcati is energetically wheeling around at full speed on her bicycle, bound for the condomine home. As she whirls along the road on the heath, she extols the virtues of her favorite mode of travel in the bicycle song joined by the bicycling chorus oh <laughs> je suis excited <laughs> if it's catching the grip you want it's a ship you want it's a ship you want if it's worry and strain you want it's a train you want or a plane you want but if you're bored god i love her it was a lot of fun but i will say the idea of a bicycle course kind of got me sidetracked about how uh fun and potentially dangerous this would be to stage okay i actually kind of forgot about that part <laughs> because i was listening to the music and as you should to my weird eardrums this kind of in some weird way just reminds me of charlie and the chocolate factory or willy wonka and the chocolate mm. factory i should say when she sings like don't care how i want it now i don't know something about it but it's not direct like the notes are not there but like the general feel of it it's there for me whatever but she also reminds me a lot vocally and i think this is just time period of angela lansbury i was thinking the same thing but i did a little calculation okay and when Angela Lansbury was born, Beatrice Lilly was 31. What? <laughs> and uh, Angela Lansbury was born in 1925. In 1964, Angela Lansbury was actually 39. I realized that this role might remind me of Angela Lansbury because I actually saw the play Blythe Spirit with Angela Lansbury in the role of Madame Arcati. She was very good. But we did wait outside. And by we, I mean me and a bunch of other strangers waited outside the stage door and sang Mame to her like crazy people. But she was very happy about it. Maybe I'll put up a video. Wait, you have a video? Yeah, I have a video of us <gasps> singing right. Mame to her. I wasn't there for everyone listening. But whatever, moving on. <laughs> I'm a new fan of Beatrice Lilly. Dinner over, the condomines and the Bradmans have retired to the living room where Madame Arcati arrives. 
She breezes in and launches into her own eccentric brand of conversation. Explaining details of the seance, Madame Arcati selects a suitable table and seats the participants. Switching off the lights, Madame Arcati begins her spiritualistic sessions in earnest. Sensing the presence of the unknown, she asks questions to determine exactly whose spirit has been calling into the room. Suddenly, the table bumps loudly one time, indicating readiness to communicate. (laughs) Madame Arcati discovers that the unseen ghost wants to get in touch with Charles Condamine. The table moves violently, falls over with a crash, Ah! and Madame Arcati falls to the floor. During a discussion of what to do about the upturned table, an unidentified female voice... Flip it voice... back over? Like, I don't, why does this need to be a discussion? Leave it there. Forever. An unidentified female voice from an unidentified source suggests, leave it where it is. Oh. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, okay. Cool, cool, cool. By his reaction, Charles is obviously the only person to hear the speaker. When the others in the room insist they've heard nothing, Charles becomes increasingly agitated. The voice identifies itself to Charles as his late wife, Elvira. And unexpectedly, a ghost greenish figure clad in a flimsy cloud-like garment flies across the room unseen by any of the occupants. Charles is so disturbed that he calls a halt to the proceedings and switches on the lights. Madame Arcati is lifted unconscious to the sofa and revived. Upon waking, she is told by those who couldn't see or hear Elvira that nothing happened. She asks to be informed should anything unusual occur and leaves. While Charles is seeing her to the door, Elvira floats in and settles down for a visit, invisible and inaudible to those in the room. After escorting the Bradmans out, Charles rejoins Ruth and is shocked when he spies Elvira. When she speaks to him and he replies, Ruth incredulously demands to know what's going on. Charles tells her that Elvira is present and even tries to politely introduce the two women. Ruth is upset, thinking her husband has gone slightly daffy. Elvira continues the conversation with Charles, and his replies are disastrous. Able to hear only Charles's remarks, Ruth assumes they are intended for her, and when he heatedly reprimands Elvira, you're behaving like a gutter snipe. (laughs) Ruth has had all the insults she can tolerate and storms out the room. Left alone with Elvira, Charles is quite unnerved. Insistently, She tells him that he must have called her back, and just as insistently, Charles denies it. Adjusting somewhat to the situation, Charles relaxes, and the two former mates confess they have been very much in love. Commenting on the present bizarre circumstances, Elvira warns Charles that, You'd better love me while you may. Tomorrow I may fly away. Which is the song that is playing now, You Better Love Me. So 
She has a unique voice. Yeah, she sounds like a cuter version of Ella Fitzgerald. Yeah. I couldn't put my finger on it. I'm still thinking about it. But I think that's probably the closest. Well, it's, it's also just because the style mm-hmm. is jazzy. But also, yes, mezzo. Yeah. Like, I haven't heard one soprano yet. And no offense to all the people in the world that are sopranos. I just personally am not one. So I get really excited <laughs> when there are other non-sopranos in the world as leading younger-ish women. Because I feel like youngerish women who are married to men tend to not be altos. I feel like altos are reserved for the friends of those who are married to men. For sure. And the side pieces, pieces <laughs> of those married men. The other women are usually altos or mezzos. But this is a very sexy song, so it kind of fits into that stereotype. For sure. But and in ways, she is a sultry side piece. She was the original. But she has, she's the original, so she can't be really side. This is very confusing. Let's see where this goes. After her song, Elvira capriciously disappears. At breakfast on the patio the following morning, Ruth, still upset from the previous night, is decidedly cool toward her husband. Despite Charles's efforts to convince Ruth of Elvira's appearance, Ruth attributes his unusual behavior to the effects of alcohol. Oh. I I would never hallucinate from alcohol. Well, you oh. also weren't drinking, you know, absinthe back in the day, so. <laughs> That's true. Their disagreement continues through the duet, Where is the man I married? Uh-oh. Charles is in trouble. Mm-hmm. It's clear to see she'll harass me, embarrass me, till I go Bobby's automatic falling. She was never so fierce before. She raves and rants and wears the pants. Where is the girl I married? Is danger my husband's a stranger? I'm loving these songs yeah there hasn't been a weak one yet no the lyrics of this song are great (laughs) they're so good so i'm probably gonna play the bit where they're doing counterparts with each other but the song opens with charles saying who's the wench in my hair i was like (laughs) what yeah, How I was, rude. I was questioning too. Is like, who, is he singing about the dead one? No. Eh. But I like it. I like it too. Go forth. Elvira enters the patio. Much. How to- big is this set? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Elvira enters the patio, much to Charles's distress. In a desperate attempt to prove Elvira's presence, he persuades her to move a bowl of flowers for Ruth to see. Who keeps flowers in a bowl? It's next to your fruit bowl, the flower bowl. She not only moves them, but shoves them in Ruth's face. Oh, jeez. And proceeds to cavort around the patio, convincing a hysterical Ruth that Charles has told the truth. All right, cool. Well, she kind of kept the ruse going for a little longer. Oh, well. The scene shifts to Madame Arcati's coffee house, the inner circle. Ooh. Amidst the weird decor, surrounded by her student spiritualists, 
She leads the group as they propose that any problem is solved when you go into your trance, which is the next song. It's going to be hippy dippy, spooky spooky. Every time you get the chance, throw yourself into a trance. Good show. You need no drinks. You need no smokes. You need no aspirin in your cokes. No benzedrine in your Ovaltine. Just go, go, go into your trance. No opium or cocaine kicks. You don't need heroin for a fix. No me and you smoking tea for two. Just go, go, go into your trance at the least. I I hope I'm not overusing this word, but that song was pretty funky. <laughs> I don't think funky is the right word. I think it was trippy. Trippy. Yes, trippy. Let's use that word. Yeah, the dance break had slide whistles in it, so it was pretty <laughs> trippy. It's like those 60s movies you watch where the the screen goes rainbow colors and maybe the camera pans in and out and in and out and in and out and there's people dancing like just flailing around that's what i imagine i think it's really funny how many drugs madame arcadi knows about because <laughs> yes. she knows about drugs that i have never even heard of but she is telling you to not do them and just go into a trance i mean thank you dare but still <laughs> i don't know what she's talking about I mean, and she really escalates quickly. Like we went from Advil to heroin I know, really that fast. That was the biggest thing. I was like, what? Wh- how does heroin fit into this equation? She seems to be a connoisseur of uh, supplements, shall we say? Yeah, maybe she recently got off this and found going into trances, like finding her religion, and now she doesn't need that stuff. She's basically an AA for hippies. Yeah. Cool. Ruth comes to Madame Arcati in the coffee house, pleading with her to get rid of Elvira. Madame Arcati admits that she doesn't know how to. And Ruth, highly incensed, accuses her of bungling the job. Madame- <laughs> <laughs> what a term. I just love some of these terms. Madame Arcati, in a huff, informs Ruth that she and her husband can stew in their own juice. Ooh. Oh, that's a good one. While Ruth and Madame Arcati are having their difficulties, Charles and Elvira reminisce about their marriage. He puts a record on the phonograph, and they vocally recall the love song Elvira had played 30 times on their wedding night. They vocally recall? (laughs) Is that another way of saying they sing? Yes, yes. And the song they sing is called Forever in a Day. What about that, eh? What about what? What about the song? That's very pretty. You mean you don't remember it? Should I? You played that record 30 times without stopping on our wedding night. Oh, Charles. Of course I remember it, you sentimental old darling. You kept it all these years. Of course I remember. It's all coming back to me. It isn't, and I'm upset. No, it is. Okay, I'm obsessed with Tammy Grimes' voice. It's definitely really unique. But also familiar. Yes. (laughs) Well, okay, her speaking voice. Okay, for sure. It's weird because... 
before I said that her singing voice sounded like Ella Fitzgerald. <laughs> yes, you did. But now her speaking voice is reminding me of Carol Channing. And I'm very confused. Very different people. But do you hear it? I I definitely hear both of what you're it's saying. It's wigging me out, but I'm enjoying it's, this ride. I, I actually enjoy people who have a completely different singing voice than their speaking voice. But it is kind of jarring on the recording. It sounds like it's two different people. Yeah. So interesting fact about the song. The recording that they're listening to on the phonograph during the song... The guy singing in that is actually Timothy Gray, who is one of the co-writers of the music and lyrics of this show, which we'll talk more about later. How meta. Mmm. Ooh. So, continuing on. Ruth returns and tells Charles of her futile visit to Madame Marcotti. Charles, Elvira, and Ruth discuss the matter, and when Ruth makes an indignant exit... Charles agrees to take Elvira to the penthouse club for old time's sake. What? <laughs> I have to figure out the rules of ghosting in this. It seems like she's just a person that only he can see. That's a ghost. Yeah, but like, you know, ghosts can sometimes go through walls, they can teleport, they can, or they're stuck in a one place, but. I think that she is attached to him. So wherever he goes, where you leave, yeah, I, I will follow <laughs> any that you tell me to pleasurably anticipating their evening together elvira sings something tells me which is this song something tells her what something tells me the hour is at hand to escape to a happier land if you long for my touch and you want it so much you So I don't want to say that this song is bad. So don't say it. I'm not. <laughs> but it is probably the least enjoyable of the show so far to me. I humbly disagree. <gasps> I liked it. It doesn't do too much, Mm-mm. but it's very short. It and is it's very to short. The point. I was entertained and it was a nice melody. This music sounds like something else or like a, a feel of someone else. Mm-hmm. But I can't put my finger on it just yet hmm. i love the ending to it all right yeah. see you did like something <laughs> okay fine i just like when brass instruments go like that at the end oh <laughs> <laughs> they like layer a chord yes i like that sound i don't know why it's happened a few times in the show but i enjoy it charles and elvira arrive at the penthouse club and he's obviously had too much to drink well geez didn't he have too much to drink the other night, too? Yes. Cool, cool. Mm. Now we know a little bit more about you, Charles. Mm-hmm. Also, what has happened to those neighbors that were at the beginning? Yeah, they disappeared and never came back. Curious. I thought they were going to have more of a, <laughs> a part in this. As Elvira radiates sweetness and light, Charles recognizes her actions as having an ulterior motive and confirms his suspicions as he and Elvira join in the duet. I know your heart. 
I feel like it's going to be a sweet song and not like how you just said it, which is like, I took your heart out and I know every inch of it now because it's in my hand. Oh, I have in my mind this is a ghost story and ghost stories are creepy. I see. Well, this is also a love story, so get your mind out of the cemetery. (laughs) I know your eyes by heart. Just follow me, my dear I have figured it out. Figured what out? What style of music this sounds like. Okay. Cole Porter. Oh. Boom. Makes sense. It's like jazzy, brassy, mm-hmm. Broadway. Like, it's like the perfect combo of all those things. I like how these guys use counter melodies a lot. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love when musicals um, introduce one type of melody and then layer on another one. And then I like when they layer on another one, another one, another one. Okay, that but- gives me an aneurysm. <laughs> but this is great. I will say now, we are how many songs in? Eight. They've used that tactic at least two times. At least two. Maybe more. So they might want to put another feather in their cap and use something else, but I'm not complaining yet. Well, we'll see how this goes because it goes right into the next song. Okay. And the continuation says... Her portion of the song is a persuasive taunt to Charles to forget everything and follow her. And she winds up with a vocal travelogue of her astral activities, appealing designed to lure him into following her as she flies faster than sound. (gasps) Which is the next song. Is she going to fly? I think so. Ooh, I'm excited. I love flying almost (laughs) as much as I like mice, but mice win. Singapore in time for tea. Flying is a life for me. I get around faster than sound. Two old fashions in Tokyo and dinner down in Mexico. What a kick it is to go. Flying around faster than sound. California, there I went. Breakfast in the park. while we were listening to that i just looked it up on the side she was flying because i see this new york times article it starts from the moment that tammy grimes comes soaring out of the wings of the elven theater some 30 feet above the groundlings in attendance of the new musical high spirits it is obvious to know that the lady is in her element she did the last two weeks of rehearsal without a wire added a friend who was present or or a harness miss grimes agreed i just waved my arms and flew that is stupid (laughs) But yes, she is flying. Probably <laughs> with a amazing. wire. But that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, probably with a wire. Well, I mean, she said she. No, didn't Harry use Potter it. was back there, and he was like Wingardium Leviosa, <laughs> and then she went on stage. So that's amazing. 
that she was up in the air. I mean, let's be real. Ten years earlier, Mary Martin was flying around, so it's not like she was the first bitch to be up there, but kudos for you. And I'm glad you know that it was ten years ago off the top of your head. Well, Peter Pan's my favorite show. (laughs) The Mary Martin version is my jam. I had a lot of unexplained feelings about mary martin and i was very confused as a child because i was like well peter pan is a boy but mary martin is a girl but i have feelings what does this mean and then i just realized that i like the idea of someone genderless i really don't care who taking me away and making it so i just never grow up and i get to play imaginary games all the time but then i realized that i could grow up and be an actor and that's basically what we do and you can do things including fly i haven't done it yet but i'm waiting (laughs) it's coming (laughs) so i have to say about this song two things it kind of seems like she's just in epcot oh my gosh you're right she's like eating and drinking around the world all she's (laughs) doing is talking about the food and drink she's having in other countries also ghosts can eat what are the rules i don't know the rules the rules are different in every incarnation so in this world she can eat she can drink she's basically alive but she's dead can they touch i guess so i don't know maybe there'll be a kiss somewhere and we'll be like oh my god he's kissing a ghost by this time Charles is so drunkenly excited about the wonderful things Elvira describes that, encouraged by her, he mounts the parapet, extends his arms in an attempt to fly, and plunges out of sight. I'm assuming into the orchestra pit. (laughs) Onto a pile of mattresses. Well, it does end Act 1, so maybe he does just jump. How dramatic! (laughs) That does end Act 1. Act 2 finds Dr. Bradman attending Charles, who, it develops, had fallen three and a half feet from the hotel roof to the service lift and suffered (laughs) only a slight sprain. I was about to say, that's not very far. No. In addition to his accident, the maid, Edith, has fallen downstairs and sports a bandaged head. Oh, what? Why? I Yeah, what happened <laughs> what there? The her? Ruth points out to Charles that Elvira is attempting to kill him off in order to have him to herself <gasps> forever. <gasps> a disbelieving Charles is convinced when Ruth tells him that Edith's fall was a result of axle grease spread over the top of the stairs by Elvira intended for him. What? What? Oh, yeah, because if he's dead, they can go flying all over the place together. Yes. And live all eternity together. Sorry, I might be forgetting. Ruth can see Elvira now? Or maybe she saw some floating grease. Maybe. Together, Ruth and Charles secretly plan that she will again appeal to Madame Arcati to help them get rid of Elvira. Charles is grateful for Ruth's understanding and promises that things will be better. They look forward to the reestablishment of their once peaceful life and recall the poem by which Charles proposed to Ruth, entitled, If I Gave You. And the poem this time is sung, so... But I have no prides of lions, and my pearls are less of you. But for worlds of loving heartbeats, would you let me stay?
there's not a true soprano in sight. I'm loving it. Which, you know, if you're a soprano, good for you. Sorry, you have <laughs> other stuff. This is not your show. There are there are a lot of roles. I'm allowed to like this. You can go audition for many other things. <laughs> but I'm not sure about this dude. You know, he's different for every song. And I generally enjoy it. Yeah, I just don't think I like him on this song. His vibrato is a bit odd. Yeah, it, I found myself focusing on the vibrato so much that I don't think I listened to the song very closely, <laughs> <laughs> which is not good. The idea behind the song is nice, that it's a, a love poem that he used to propose to her. But it's not what I would call a traditional poem. No. I was really hoping for some amazing rhymes out of this, and I did not receive them. And I know not all poems have to rhyme, but <laughs> traditionally, that's what one expects. Let's get back to the play, shall we? Let's. <laughs> Elvira enters, and when Ruth realizes she's in the room, she makes an excuse to leave on her way to Madame Arcati's. Elvira insists that Charles take her out for an evening in town, but he tells her they can't go because Ruth has taken the car. Elvira reacts hysterically, and just as Charles realizes she has tampered with the car, hoping to cause his demise, <gasps> the telephone rings, bringing him news that Ruth has been killed. Oh my god! What? <gasps> she's gonna come back to haunt them, and then she's <laughs> gonna get into a fist fight with Elvira. Uh... Ooh, I hear amazing duets in our future. Go. Let's see. The door bursts open, and Elvira is annoyed and frustrated when Ruth's unmaterialized spirit flies in and yes. seeks revenge by chasing her around the room. Yes! Girl, fight! Girl, fight! Meanwhile, in her bedroom, Madame Arcati awakes buoyantly and sings <laughs> a love song to her Ouija board. Entitled... Wait, that whole sentence is ridiculous. She wakes up buoyantly? Buoyantly. And then she sings a song to her Ouija board? Yes, called Talking to You. This is going to be hilarious. When the clock goes off and I rub my eyes, what's the first thing I want at hand? What's the first thing that I demand to see? It's my Ouija. When I watch the sun in the eastern skies rising over my garden wall, then I turn to the love I've always adored. My Ouija board. Ouija, whom do you love most in the world? Well, that song just kind of makes me want to get at our Ouija board and sing to it and dance around. Maybe it would be happier instead <laughs> of doing weird things in the middle of the night. Perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> we made a mistake one day. Mm -hmm. Once upon a time, we were gifted a Ouija board during a party. We put it to the side and we left the planchette on the Ouija board, which you're not supposed to do because that starts a session. And in the middle of the night, that night, we both had sleep paralysis, which Google it. It's freaky and weird. Mikey gets it a lot more than I do. I do. But I had it for 
a second and then I just burst into tears unconsolable for like an hour I saw like a a floating head um, and sounds of laughter around me and that's when we realized that the planchette was on the board and once we took it off we went to sleep and everything was fine it was it was a fun night spooky maybe we should have <laughs> saved this for Halloween yeah too late well I love that this is a adorable love song to an inanimate object. I just think it sounds like such a good time. Yeah. I mean, when do you get to sing to a Ouija board? <laughs> and when do you see that on stage? And she has cute little rhymes like all through the daytime, it's made time. Just one long playtime with you, my Ouija board. <laughs> I want to be her when I grow up. <laughs> I kind of wish I could go back time and see this. I would like to see a Broadway legend do this song. I don't know who. Oh, oh, I do know who. Who? Andrea Martin. <gasps> That's great. I need Andrea Martin to play this part right now. I want tickets. <laughs> Front row. Just like how we were in Pippin when we saw her. We were on the side of the stage that Andrea Martin tended to be on during all of the ensemble numbers. And I lost my shit. She was singing directly to she us. She made eye contact with us and I started to cry. She pointed at us. I know. And I started to cry, which made her make eye contact with me even more because <laughs> I was like, I love you. Like I was literally mouthing I love you to her as she was singing. Mm, magic theater moments. Now I'm going to cry because I love her so much. Okay, go. <laughs> the board communicates that Elvira has been instrumental in Ruth Condamine's death. Madame Arcati immediately calls Charles and tells him of a formula whereby she may be able to exercise Elvira after all. Too little too late. <laughs> yeah. Under the strain of the circumstances, Elvira declares her spiritual return a flop since she hasn't been successful in bringing Charles into her world. She confesses homesickness and sings about the extraordinary environment of her. Home Sweet Heaven, which is the title of the next song. I'm surprised she's in heaven, but let's go. My house is modest. It's by Bernini. And I have a feeling that the ceiling's by Cellini. The brothers Adam both call me madam in my home sweet heaven. We all sit round King Arthur's table, Freud and Cain and Abel, Barnum and Bailey, Oscar Wilde and me. And it's such fun when Julius Caesar, Proust and Saint Teresa drop in for a cup of tea. Every time I think I know what she's going to be singing about, she kind of <laughs> takes a different turn as to what I would think was the root instead of talking about the actual physical space of what heaven is she's just name dropping people yeah. <laughs> i kind of found myself judging every name to be like did they go to heaven would they go to heaven i, I don't know at, in this world just every dead person goes to heaven because at this point she's killed someone yes. should she really be let back <laughs> into heaven and she, she is actively trying to kill Charles. Someone also. else. Yeah. She has plans to still kill someone. Maybe after you're dead, you don't, you can't be judged anymore. Wow. <laughs> I've also figured out who I would cast as Elvira who? in my fantasy 
cast. Who is it? Annalie Ashford. <gasps> That'd be perfect. Right? <gasps> Bring out the revival. You already have two I kind people of cast. want it to be revived. You only have a few more people. There's not that many people in this cast. I know. I'm not going to cast the whole thing, guys, because my brain would explode. But Max von Essen, just saying. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a great idea. <laughs> Let's continue. Charles telephones Madame Arcati to say that he and Elvira have decided to try her formula and are on their way to the inner circle. Madame Arcati, bubbling with excitement, looks forward to Elvira's visit in Something is Coming to Tea. Something? Yes, something is coming to tea. Something is coming to tea. What is it? Something I'm longing to see. It's bigger than a bread box. It's smaller than a cow. In fact, it could be standing right beside you now. Something is coming to tea. Oh, what a day this will be. My beads are all a jangle. My heart is in a spasm. I'm finally going to entertain. A genuine ectoplasm. Something is coming to tea. And put on this. Something is coming to tea. Well, coming into this, I had no idea that a song called Something is Coming to Tea would be potentially my favorite song of the show. And? Um, well, I have to say, this song is full of amazing lyrics. It is hilarious. Um, I also just think it's everything is more hilarious when she says it. <laughs> yes, I think she helps a lot. Sometimes when I listen to these shows, I try to separate the actor from the show. I never do. Really? No. Because the actor for shows that are original cast usually are very close with the writer. That's true. And the writer wants those people. For sure. I think I found my favorite rhyme of the show. Okay, go. My beads are all a jangle. My heart is in a spasm. I'm finally going to entertain a genuine ectoplasm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's funny. Of all the paranormal things, I think ectoplasm is probably the least plausible, but it is also the funnest idea of just like ghost slime. <laughs> When Charles and Elvira arrive at the inner circle, Madame Arcati and her followers perform the complicated exorcism ceremony. But again, rather ineffectively, Madame Arcati fails to dematerialize Elvira. To the contrary, much of Madame Arcati's delight, Charles's consternation, and Elvira's disgust, Ruth suddenly appears, fully materialized from her previously invisible state. Wait, so Elvira's still invisible, but... It seems that Ruth was invisible for this entirety of Act 2. Maybe? And now we can see her. Okay. Back in the living room, while Charles is absent, Ruth bemoans the fact that she will have to spend eternity with Elvira. Why? Heaven's really big. This is very confusing. What are the rules? The latter informs Ruth this may not be the case, and by mystical machinations, places an extremely long-distance call to Merlin the Magician somewhere in the great beyond. (laughs) Elvira requests the poison that Socrates used to do away with himself, and from his lofty heights, Merlin immediately dispenses instant hemlock. Elvira and Ruth conspiratorially pour it in the brandy decanter. 
Returning to the living room, Charles and his two ectoplasmic wives. (laughs) (laughs) Ectoplasmic wives. Charles and his two ectoplasmic wives try to make the best of an impossible situation. Elvira reminds Charles that his subconscious desire must have called them both back. But they all agree that the sooner both wives dematerialize, the better. Elvira suggests that Charles has a weak will, since his desire for their dematerialization isn't strong enough to help them accomplish it easily. Ruth agrees, and the three of them attempt to analyze Charles's domination by women and his two marital experiences as they sing, What in the world did you want? I sat still while you blandly misquoted every poem you thought you knew. We were both of us over-devoted And we doted on no one but you I was honey and sugar and spice So was I, and what's more, I was nice We were good, you were bad Your conceit drove us mad You're a cat that we're glad we can hold What in the world? What in the world? What in the world? What in the world did you want? I love that instead of Ruth being mad at Elvira... They are now banding together and ripping on Charles for being a horrible husband. (laughs) (laughs) Now that I've basically cast the whole thing, though, I have to cast Ruth. (laughs) Yes, you do. So, Christy Altamar. Good. This is an expensive cast. (laughs) Well, do you want it to be good? That's true. It is a small show. It's little. Mm -hmm. You don't have to cast... Big name people in the ensemble. Oh, that's true. There is an ensemble. Lest we forget, they come (laughs) up sometimes. Yeah, I think they've been in three songs. So, I say, someone do it. Mm -hmm. At least they can do a reading of it while we're in quarantine. That that would make my heart happy. That is 100% doable. Let's start a campaign. (laughs) Let's finish this baby. A remorseful Madame Arcati arrives, anxious to untangle the mess she has created. Charles emphatically denies that he had anything to do with recalling his wives, and, puzzled, Madame Arcati insists that it had to be someone in the house who knew both women. She pulls a crystal (gasps) ball from her bag of tricks, It's Edith! looks into it, and sees a white bandage. I forgot that she existed. What happened to her? She's hurt and just off stage somewhere. (laughs) That's right. Trying to determine the source of the bandage, she recites a magical phrase. And Edith, the maid, walks in. She is the culprit. Questioning her, Madame Arcati discovers that Edith, unknown even to herself, is a natural medium. (gasps) Here, then, is the means for dematerializing the ghost wives. Madame Arcati puts Edith into a trance, and the mission is accomplished. Even though once again invisible, the spirits of Elvira and Ruth still inhabit the house, and Charles decides to take a trip, leaving the two to settle matters between them. As the dematerialized spirits romp around the house playing havoc with the furnishings, Charles and Madame Arcati drink a toast to their success. The poison brandy acts quickly, and Charles and Madame Arcati join Elvira and Ruth in the celestial world of the unknown, where they will all forever fly faster than sound. The entire company reprises Something Tells Me. 
Wait, what? Also, remember those neighbors? They never came <laughs> the, back. No, the Bradmans came back in the beginning of Act 2. They did? Yeah, because the Bradman was the doctor that tended to his wounds. Oh, I didn't make that connection. <laughs> so Charles decided he wanted to go on vacation? I think so, yeah. But then he didn't go on vacation. No, because then he drank some brandy. Wait, but the ghosts are dematerialized, right? Yes, so it seems But like... they're still there in the room. Yeah. How do they denote that? When... A green light, I, I guess? I guess so. Also, Madame Arcadi doesn't know about sage, apparently. <laughs> With your windswept face And my upswept hair And your favorite downswept gown Something tells me you want to be near I'm so glad that you want to be So let's not waste any time and delve right into the history of the show. Sounds fun. So the co-writer of the music book and lyrics was a man named Hugh Martin, and I just love his name, but I might just love everyone named Hugh. I'm not (laughs) sure. He was most known for co-writing the music and lyrics to Meet Me in St. Louis. And for those of you who are not aware, you probably hear one of the songs he wrote for the show every year, which is Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. But also the trolley song. (laughs) He was born on August 11th, 1914 in Birmingham, Alabama. And he died on March 11th, 2011 in Encinitas, California. Timothy Gray was the other co-writer of the music book and lyrics. Unfortunately, not too much is known or written about him, possibly because he went by way too many names. He was credited as Timothy Gray, Jack Gray, and his birth name, John Gray. I just have to note, we went through some serious detective work to find this. (laughs) It all started when we were looking at the album itself, and it had credits that we couldn't find under his name on IBDB. IBDB is the Internet Broadway Database. They probably got some credits confused. So the one thing we do have is his bio from the record cover. So he's listed some credits in there that... We can neither confirm nor deny because we can't find evidence of him in these shows. And the shows that are listed are Heaven on Earth. Not sure. As the Girls Go. Not sure. And Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. Kind of sure? I think he go. He went under Jack. John, John or Jack Gray. Very confusing. He was a man of mystery. But the one thing we do know, and the only thing we know, that is actually confirmed on many sources is that he wrote another show with Hugh Martin that opened in London called Love from Judy, a musical based off the play Daddy Longlegs. And we must find this on vinyl. (laughs) Yes. And actually, I do remember he was listed as Jack Gray on that one. (laughs) (laughs) Jeez Louise, dude, you didn't make it easy. He was born on September 5th, 1926 in Chicago, Illinois. He died March 17th, 2007 in Sarasota, Florida. Now the big guy, Noel Coward. He wrote Blythe Spirit, which is the play this musical is based on. He directed High Spirits on Broadway and in the West End. 
He was a prolific actor and writer of over 50 plays, including Present Laughter, Private Lives, Design for Living, Hay Fever, and Fallen Angels. He also wrote over 300 songs and a dozen operettas, reviews, and musicals. We will definitely cover his musical Sail Away on a later episode. It was known that Noel Coward was gay, but this was never outright mentioned at the time. He stated himself in the late 60s in reference to a draft of a biography that went too in-depth on his sexuality that, quote, There are still a few old ladies in Worthing who don't know. He lived his life in the public eye and was very aware of what coming out officially would mean. A quote from the same earlier conversation, quote, I can't afford to offend their prejudice, nor do I really wish to disturb them this late in their lives. If I had a very young audience, I might think differently. I commend him for knowing his audience, but it sucks that it affected his lifestyle so much. It just seems really sad. It is really sad. But it is important that we share this part of his story because... Things have changed so much. I mean, there's still a long way to go, but we should all be really grateful that there were people like Noel Coward in the public eye, that even though he didn't come out in his lifetime, just the fact that he was there, I think, made a huge difference. Mm -hmm. We are actually going to cut Noel Coward's biography a little bit short because we are going to really go into it on a future episode when we cover his show Sail Away that he did a lot of work on. Noel Coward was born in Middlesex, UK, which is a suburb of London in 1899. He died in his home in Jamaica, which is called the Firefly Estate, on March 1973. So as we've mentioned, Noel Coward wrote the play Blythe Spirit in 1941, 23 years before High Spirits, the musical, came out. He wrote the play in seven days. It broke the record for longest-running play on the West End with 1,997 performances. It was on Broadway in the fall of 1941 and lasted 657 performances. Martin and Gray wanted to make Blythe Spirit a musical, and they worked on it for 10 years before they approached Coward. This was not the first time someone had the idea to convert Coward's plays into a musical. Leonard Bernstein asked to turn Brief Encounter into a musical, and Hugh Martin himself also asked about Hay Fever, but nothing had come from either of those. They brought Noel Coward the music in person at his Jamaica home. That's a good business trip. (laughs) And he, upon hearing it, remarked, quote, Quite brilliant. The music is melodic and delightful. The lyrics really witty. And they have done a complete book outline, keeping to my original play, and yet making it effective as a musical. I'm not only relieved, but delighted. Noel Coward was involved with the then-titled Faster Than Sound from that moment on. Coward wanted Gwen Verdon to play Elvira and for Bob Fosse to direct it, but they weren't available, possibly because they had just had their daughter, Nicole Fosse, in 1963. There isn't any documentation on the rehearsal process or opening night that we could find, but we do know that at some point they decided to hire Gower Champion, director and choreographer of Hello Dolly, which was playing just eight blocks south from High Spirits, to help out as an uncredited co-director. 
Unfortunately, we're not sure if his assistance helped the overall show because the reviews that we found were more like time capsules of this period and don't really go in depth on the actual production. According to one article, people were rushing to see the show, <laughs> which I just mean that they are waiting in line like we do now for the box office to open at 10 a.m. for tickets. So... <laughs> This article says, quote, When the box office of the Alvin opened at 10 a.m. yesterday, there was a queue of 23 waiting to buy tickets. At 12.40 p.m., the line had grown to 78. <laughs> the Alvin and the 46th Street Theater were the first theaters to serve alcohol during the run of High Spirits. Beatrice Lilly said, quote, it's the gayest thing that's happened to the theater since Mary Martin started to fly. Of course, I'm used to it because we've had this in London for years. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm in love with her. The two 22-year-old girls that were the first at the bar got their drinks on the house. Now, drinks were a dollar, which would be around $8 with inflation today. Which is a pretty good price, considering now a glass of wine costs like $20. Mm -hmm. It closed on February 27th, 1956, but we couldn't find a closing notice or reasoning behind the end of the run. But we have our suspicions. Yeah, February is a rough time for a show that has a lot of competition. Yeah, and... February is a natural time to close, too, because it just finished Christmas time, Thanksgiving, New Year's, and it's cold in New York, and it's just a natural progression. Yeah, people don't go out as much. And in the end, it had a pretty good run. And that was probably due to some of the stars of the show. <laughs> uh, Beatrice Lilly, my new obsession, it's like her... And Molly Pecan. Oh my god, if they were in a show together, my head would explode. We'll have to look that up. No, they were never. <laughs> They're very different people. For sure. Different kinds of comedy, it seems. <laughs> but I appreciate them both. So, a little bit more about Beatrice Lilly. She has a ton of Broadway and West End credits. We are not going to try and list them. Mm -mm. It is way too hard. A New York Times article completely raves about her. It never even really mentions the other castmates or reviews the show. Quote, There are the tripping sentences and the artfully aimless gestures, and you grin before she has said a word or sung a note. Unquote. She seems like a legend that we just have forgotten about for mm -hmm. some reason. I don't know why. She's probably known most for her final film role, which was Mrs. Mirrors in the Thoroughly Modern Millie movie. So you can check her out in that, <laughs> live in living color. Mm -hmm. Edward Woodward, with the ever-changing voice, played Charles. <laughs> he has plenty of British film, TV, and stage roles. I know him from starring in the 70s horror cult classic, The Wicker Man. For those of you who only watch remakes, it's the role that Nicolas Cage plays in the remake of The Wicker Man. One of his last roles was modern-day horror classic Hot Fuzz as the head of the neighborhood watch. So you can see him live in living color as well. <laughs> Tammy Grimes played Elvira. She 
won a Tony Award for Best Leading Actress for Private Lives, another Noel Coward. She was the original Dorothy Brock in 42nd Street. She was the original Molly Tobin in The Unsinkable Molly Brown, which she won a Tony Award for Best Featured Actress in a Musical, even though she was the lead role. Because at the time, you were only considered for a lead if your name was above the title in the billing. Bonkers banana pants. So strange. She was married to Christopher Plummer for four years before this show even happened. And their daughter, Amanda Plummer, won a Tony Award for Agnes of God. Now, the biggest star in this show that most people in today's society will know was a man who did not have a solo in this show that we know of. (laughs) And his name was Ronnie Ronnie Walken. Walken. Now, who who is Ronnie Walken? Well, let me tell (laughs) you. Ronald Walken is the real name of Christopher Walken. What? (laughs) He changed his stage name during the year of this musical because the actress Monique Van Voren, who Walken was a backup dancer for, said that the name Christopher suited him better than Ronald. (laughs) That is a weird reason to change your name. He must have been very, very... uh, smitten with her yeah well we have arrived to the penultimate moment of the podcast should this musical still be produced a one a two a three yes are you kidding me i mean that's a yes oh, like, okay. are you kidding me why not oh oh i thought we were about to disagree for no. the first time <laughs> <laughs> i think that this show could replace shows like Gentleman's Guide, for instance, or maybe A Little Night Music. If you don't have enough people to put on those shows, take a look at this show because it has kind of the same cast breakdown-ish, but a bit smaller. And it's female heavy, which is... And alto heavy. Yeah. Boom, diggity. (laughs) I just think it's a very easily marketable show. And I have to say, it's got to be a lot cheaper than those two shows. For sure. For a 100-seat house with tickets ranging between $25 and $50, 16 performances will cost you $7,800. That's great. That's amazing, actually. That's a really good deal. Now I'm confused as to why more people don't do this show. If you want to put on this show, you need to contact Concord Theatricals for the rights. If you're a theater that's going to produce Blythe Spirit anyway, and you have a community that can do musicals, why not just do this one? Yeah, get on it. It's audition cut time. Yay. So there's so many things to choose from. I feel like this show is perfect to find audition cuts in. Especially for you. I guess. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, women in general. Yeah, ladies. (laughs) The lady types. But you get good songs, too. Yes. And the cut that I found is actually great for me. I think this is the first time I've picked a song that I would sing. Yay! (laughs) This is a surprise. Also, um, I'm... Always looking for an up-tempo, and this is an up-tempo, and it's funny. 
So the song I chose is Where is the Man I Married? Who's this wench in my hair? Who's this lass with the deadly air? The shrew I see is strange to me. She couldn't be the girl I married. She was sweet. She was swell. Heaven has turned to hell. She's hard as nails and off the rails. Where is the girl I married? So this type of song is good for the classic musical. If you're going for that tenor, that fun tenor, uh, roles like Billy in Anything Goes, Woody in Finian's Rainbow, um, Marcellus and Shapoopy, stuff like that. So I think it's a good song to have. He's not in Shapoopy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, in, in Music Man. <laughs> so my audition cut, it comes as no surprise, is a Beatrice Lily song. I have chosen... Something is coming to tea. Something is coming to tea. What is it? Something I'm longing to see. What is it? Well, it's bigger than a bread box, smaller than a cow. In fact, it could be standing right beside you now. Something is coming to tea. Oh, what a day this will be. My beads are on the jangle. My heart is in a spasm. I'm finally going to entertain a genuine ectoplasm. Always end on a laugh. (laughs) (laughs) Now, even though this is an older woman in the show, you don't have to be old to sing this song. But that being said, it does make me think of older characters. So this song would be good for kind of anyone in MAME. Uh, <laughs> That's true. Not anyone, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, the grandma in Pippin, mm. but maybe I just have Andrea Martin on the brain. And if we're skewing younger, it could be great for a Mary Poppins audition. You're right. But also I might be distracted by British accents. <laughs> but either way, classic Broadway, you can fit this in anywhere the sound so use it or don't use it because i want to use it (laughs) (laughs) so mikey we have reached the end yes we have so what are your final thoughts well it never ceases to amaze me how many great shows there are i know that's kind of the whole point of this podcast but we hear so many of the same things over and over again. And whenever I hear some of these songs, I'm like, why aren't they playing these often? Why aren't these the songs that everyone knows? Yeah. Make it happen, peeps. Put this on your playlist. It's just surprising to me that a show with eight Tony nominations is this forgotten. Well, it was a while ago. It was. But it shouldn't be forgotten, and that's why we're here. Mm-hmm. But... That is all for today. Thank you so, so much for listening. Yes, thank you so, so much. And if you liked what you heard, please leave us a review on iTunes. But only if it's nice. If you want to email us any suggestions, you can do that at buriedbroadway at gmail.com. Please follow us on Instagram at buriedbroadway or search for our page on Facebook. 
We really appreciate all the support so far. Yes, thank you. And please help spread the word. Tell your friends. Word of mouth is the best thing we could ever ask for. Mm-hmm. What, what will, will we, we dig, dig up, up next? next? Ooh, <laughs> spooky ghosts. <laughs> Toodles. I know we just played you some songs from the show. But that doesn't mean we have the rights, you know. We're educating you and ourselves, you see. With musicals lost in history. So please don't call your lawyers. That would kill the vibe. We just want to make podcasts. And keep buried Broadway alive. Bless her ghosty little heart. Au revoir. Dear me, I must put the kettle on.